Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You might say, Brendan, why are you thanking us? What have we done? You know what you've done? You've tuned in. You've tuned in. And I appreciate it. I do. I really do. So thank you for being here. This is, for those of you who might not know, you might be saying, Brendan, what are you thanking me for? This is my first time here. You're supposed to impress me. Right? Podcasting is literally like going to the zoo. Okay? Because all you people, you sign on to, to whatever app you use to watch this or listen to this shit. And you scour through, you scour through. And there's some podcasts which are like the lions and the tigers. Right? The cool, the awesome animals. And they're well known and everyone knows when they go to the zoo, they go to the lion exhibit and they watch them run around and they're wild and they're crazy. But then you take a you take a right turn, and you're in a weird part of the zoo that you've never been. And in, in the weird part of the zoo, there's like elephants. And the elephants are not doing cool shit, but man, they're majestic and they're awesome to look at. And then you keep walking, and you realize, oh shit, no one's down here. But there's another lion exhibit, and there's some other people doing some badass work. There's some lions jumping around eating gazelle down here in the part of the zoo, and no one even knows they're here. And that's me. And that's me. I'm a lion, and I'm in another part of the zoo, and I'm eating a gazelle. And you know what the gazelle is? Every other podcast between me and number one. I'm eating them because I am going to be the best. So thank you for being here, okay? Thank you for joining me at the beginning, the inception of my climb to the top. And I appreciate that, all right? Today on the podcast, we have the great Dr. David Fisher. If you don't know who Dr. David Fisher is, then you are making a mistake in your life. Because this man, alright, this man, I unanimously decide for all of the human race that if we ever decide to make another Mount Rushmore, this man has to be on it. He is the epitome of what is great in people, okay? The way he is able to joke, the way you're able to relate to him... The way, literally the way he's able to be a human is impressive. He's just like a good human. I can't describe him any other way than just like a good human. And that's literally it. Like when I think of adjectives to describe him, human is the adjective. Human, like I I cannot articulate it any better than that. All right. But he, you might be wondering, what is he? What does he do? He's a professor of physics at the great institution that I got my degree, Lycoming College, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Great city. Great time. Go there. Spend some time there. It's beautiful. It's tiny, but it's not too tiny. It's big enough so there's still shit to do. There's still fun to be had. It's a great place. And today, he is arguably the large... If you ignore museums, okay, if you ignore a museum, he might be the largest collector of spaceflight memorabilia ever, like in history. The man is so well-versed in spaceflight that literally no one can touch his collection. And when I say touch, I mean you can't, I don't mean you're not able to go touch it and see it, because I'm, I'm sure if you walk up and you're interested, he's be willing to show you everything. That's the type of guy he is. But I mean like, no one can collect the amount of shit that this man has collected over the course of his career. And he is, I often describe him as a spaceflight historian, but maybe that's not proper, okay? Because he's almost a spaceflight documenter, all right? Because he doesn't just write about spaceflight history. He writes about spaceflight going on today. 
he is consistent in this. I remember when I went to school and he was one of my professors and you would go into his office and he would have a bookcase, a, a whole bookcase full of binders. And those binders are literally his writings on the, on, on the things going on in space flight. He has like something like 45 of them, just completely full of his own documentation on space flight happenings, whether it be ISS missions, whether it be you know, the Apollo program, whether it be Skylab, whatever it is in the history of spaceflight, or the current day spaceflight, he's writing about it, and he's written about it. He was alive at the time of the Apollo program, and he sits down and he talks to us about that, because nothing, I've never seen one thing influence a human more than the way that the space race, the Apollo program, that era in spaceflight influenced him. There's literally nothing else. No, I see, I see no one in the world that is as, as as inspired by a single event as he is by that event. And he articulates it. And we talk about that because I'm so interested in, in how people get inspired to do the things they do. And in particular, I'm interested in it as it comes to science because I don't see many scientists who got to where they are today because they were inspired by a particular thing. Like that they were inspired by an event or, or a press release or, you know, a certain finding or a paper or whatever. There's not many people that I find. They might be influenced by a some books, you know, like a collection of books, maybe a collection of TV shows like Cosmos or Carl Sagan or something. But this man was literally inspired. He spent his whole career working because he was inspired by this one thing. And that that's amazing to me. It, it boggles my mind because I don't have something like that. I oftentimes articulate how I got into science and essentially my articulation is that I don't know. Like I don't know. I don't know what it was that set this sort of scientific endeavor in motion for me. I honestly, I don't. It was not a single event that got me really excited. But for him, it's so clear and he is so clear in talking about it. You know, in the way that he articulates the fact that he wants to see men back on the moon by the time he dies. He says that, I want men back on the moon by the time I die. And that, to me, it, it, it inspires me. It does. The way that he can talk about that and articulate that. And it also makes me sad because it gives you a sense for how far back we actually have t taken. You know, we're coming up on 50 years since we first put men on the moon. And we haven't been back in something like 47. And that sucks. You know? And so we talk about that. We talk about why we stopped going to the moon. We talk about how we're getting back. All right? We talk about the parallels between the space race in the 60s and 70s and what is happening now. Is it a space race? Is it not? You know, and he, he talks about that. We talk about commercial spaceflight. All right? We talk about companies that are going to be making profits off of going to space. And finally, he's one of the few people I mentioned he's a great human. All right, and because he's a great human, I spend a lot of time talking to him about something that interests me, or that's that's very relevant for me right now. I'm, this thing's happening to me lately, where the show is getting big enough, okay? It's getting large enough, it's reaching enough people, such that now, when I invite guests on the show, I'm generally inviting big names, all right? I'm inviting, you know, people with, with real name value, or or people that, that I'm really interested in talking to. And when that happens, 
you start to get a new level of scrutiny. And what I mean by that is the people that I'm inviting on, they don't just go on any podcast that they get an invite on, right? They pick and choose. They make sure that the, the podcast they're going on is something they want to be involved in. And I'm here and I provide the opportunity for them to do outreach to the world, all right? 50 states and 65, more than 65 now countries. That's the world. I give you the opportunity to talk to the world. And, I, and when I say the world, I don't mean there's billions of people watching, but I mean you get a diverse group of people to talk to from very various parts of the world, literally all over, every, every continent, maybe even Antarctica. I don't know. And I get people who turn it down. And the reason, one of the reasons they turn it down, and this isn't common by any means, but it nevertheless happened. And because it happened, I'm interested in understanding why. They turn it down because it's the show is explicit, because it has a little red E next to it, all right? And not every episode is explicit, but some are. And it all depends on how my guest is. Are they explicit or are they not? And then I use that to gauge how I'm going to be. Because I myself, am a, I'm an explicit person. I am, that's just my personality. I like to throw an F-bomb every now and again, or a lot of them. That's how I do it. And so I try to understand like, how as a scientist, you make that decision in your head. You say to yourself, like you're so afraid of people around you. You're so afraid of people telling you that you shouldn't have done this or that, you know, you're so afraid of someone scrutinizing you for being on a show where the, the host says the word fuck that you turn it down. You turn down the ability to, to reach thousands of people in a setting that you'll literally never be able to do unless you go on a bigger show and you're not getting invited on bigger shows. So I just talked to him about that because he's someone who's been in academia for a hell of a long time and he's seen the pendulum swing from being super sensitive to being very loose to being super sensitive again to being very loose and I, I try to pick his brain on this like why is this a thing? Why are people so afraid? of just being themselves. They're so afraid of being called out on Twitter or of, you know, having an email sent to the provost at their university because they were on some offensive thing or, or saying the wrong thing or speaking their mind and or being a little offensive. Like, why? Why? And he helps me answer that. And he helps me, you know, figure that out because he's a real person. He's a real person. And I knew that by talking to him about it, I would get real answers. And so with that being said, Check out the Patreon. Check out the PayPal, paypal.me slash Drackler, patreon.com slash the state of the universe. Support those, please. Rate and review the show. Subscribe to the YouTube. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the show. And I apologize if at any time throughout the episode, the audio sounds a little echoey. This was recorded whilst I was traveling. I was in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where Dr. David Fisher lives and is a professor, and we recorded it in a room that is not necessarily outfitted for recording podcasts the way that my studio is. So, gotta do what you gotta do. Bye-bye. I am very interested in talking to you about something because okay. you've been in academia for so long. Yeah. This is something that I've been dealing with lately that's very troubling to me. Okay. I record the show. Yeah. And um, it, uh, my 
level of vulgarity changes based on the guest. Okay. Okay, and what I mean by that is, like, some guests, you can tell that they're very clean. They do outreach mm-hmm. very clean. They're like the Neil deGrasse Tyson. Only very formal conversation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I try to oblige that the best I can. I do it perfectly. If you go on the, my website, on my podcast website, and you look, you'll see that some podcasts have a little red E next to them and some don't, which means some are explicit and some are clean. Completely okay. clean from beginning to end. Right. And I vary. Now, I have had a situation happen to me recently, twice, that is very troubling. And I, I am not convinced that I understand what is happening in the world. Okay. I've had people turn down. I, I do. I know what's happening. In the <laughs> Maybe world. you will. <laughs> but I, I'm curious to see historically how this plays out in the history of your career. Yeah. I have had people turn down the show, not want to partake in it, because they notice that I curse. Okay. Or they notice that um, some episodes can be vulgar, and mm-hmm. they don't even want to be associated with that. There's such a fear in the community that people will will um you know cancel you if uh-huh. you will that's like a new age term that is, essentially means like you you know you'll get defaced you'll get removed oh, yeah. from from conversation simply because you say the wrong thing and we you see this happening all the time everywhere oh yeah right and so i am i've been dealing with this lately and i'm just boggled like i'm so confused what why all of a sudden people are afraid to say anything yeah. And and I wonder like as a lecturer, how do you deal with that cuz you probably see it in your students. Oh yeah. Cuz I remember for people who don't know, you're my professor when I came here. And and our department was you know, not like we were in no way um I would say Overtly bad poor. or over, like yeah, we yeah. weren't like, you know, we we joked though. Yeah. Like there was a community here, a, yeah. a joking and even like a pushing the envelope, if you Sometimes. will, kind of joking. You know, sure. maybe not between professors, but but with, between with students. students. students yeah. Yes, but nothing was offensive in any way. Never, and no. we always understood. It was it was like the ground rules. We knew we knew that that we were never meaning to upset each other. Students had enough sense to recognize when they were going too far. Yes, and if somebody started to go in that direction, somebody would say, "Hey, mm-hmm. you know." But that, do you mind moving a little but, closer? But, but that didn't that didn't happen. Uh, at the onset of a conversation where somebody tried to shut somebody down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I see that from time to time and it's getting worse in the classroom. You, I try to be what I like to say genuine. Yeah. Uh, I'm not one who's going to stand there and in the back of my mind think everything I have to say before it actually comes printed out somewhere in the mm-hmm. neural system until it goes and makes my mouth say something. Right. Um, and I like to uh, just be a, a normal person mm-hmm. uh, rather than a stuffy professor. Um, uh, and I'm certainly not politically correct. Our department has never been politically correct. In fact, we like to poke at people who are politically correct. Yes, and I love uh, that too, yeah. Because the last thing in the world we need to become is totally politically correct. Yeah. Uh, but on the uh, other hand, we don't push it to the point where we purposely try to offend someone. Uh, we've lost, uh, as a society, a sense to really take a good look at ourselves and laugh at, at ourselves. Everything is so bloody important, and people, instead of looking for what you say or the humor in what you say, mm-hmm. they're looking to find any offense they can find, and I'm yeah. sick of that. So here's here's the thing. Here's like the quandary that I have. It's like I want to stay true to myself when I do this. You must. And I want to be who I am when I do this. You must. And that means if I have to say fuck sometimes, mm-hmm. then I have to say fuck sometimes. Okay. It's, it's, it's in no way am I trying to off-put people, but I also realize something very important, and you you have to understand that Donald Trump can actually teach you a little bit about this country. And what he can teach you is that 
the majority of Americans, the so-called deplorables, if you will, there's a lot of them. And if you want to try to reach them with scientific outreach, then you are not going to be able to be very clean cut. Yeah. Right? You're going to have to – and you see it actually with, with Bill Nye recently. Right. Have you seen Bill Nye with the, lighting the earth on fire on TV? And, no, I haven't. And his, his quote is, um, the world is on fire, motherfuckers. He says that. Okay. He says that. Well, and, and the, I'm surprised. Yes. And, and the reason is because now people are starting to realize that too. And I'm curious, is the pendulum going to swing backwards? Do you oh, see that? In my life, I've seen pendulums go all over the place. What, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. Because what particularly I, bothers me about um, how speech is supposed to follow a correct path today, it's, it reminds me an awful lot now. I'm not that old, but I mean, I, I was young enough uh, to eventually learn secondhand of the McCarthy era where it was a little bit different. Everybody was checking out their neighbors and whatever to find the commies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you said the wrong thing uh, in the uh, sort of the opposite end of the political spectrum, oh, you must be a commie. Um, you had to watch what you said there. Liberals had to hide mm-hmm. uh, underneath um, uh, the covers rather than uh, more, the, well, the deplorables, as you yeah. call them. Um, so it, it's, it's a different situation, but it's the same damn thing uh, yeah. <laughs> that, Oh, watch what you say. Uh-huh. Um, you might be labeled a whatever, a deplorable versus a commie. Right. It's it's the same thing, and I, and I refuse to get into that thing. I, I will say what I want to say, and the hell with somebody if they don't like what I say, uh, because I'm gonna say, look, you never need to apologize if you say what you mean and you mean what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because other people don't necessarily like what you say, if you mean what you say and say what you right. mean, doesn't mean that you're trying to offend anybody. Exactly. After and all, it's supposed to be at a college and a university, a place where you come to explore all sorts of ideas mm-hmm. uh, across a spectrum of ideas. If you do so respectfully, that's no problem. Mm-hmm. If you find, and in fact, this used to be the phrase, you went to college to have your sensibilities offended, uh, with the word offended meaning something different than it means today. Back in the day, you were supposed to come in, okay, your parents, your teachers, uh, your community from which you came. Uh, that environment led you to have certain beliefs. Mm-hmm. And then you come to college and you see people who don't believe that. And you get into arguments, which is not a fight, uh, knock down, drag out, an argument where you discuss things. Yeah. And if you check your ideas against theirs and find theirs of value, maybe mm-hmm. you pick up their values and change yours. Or if you check your ideas against theirs and you find, I don't go for that, but I I think, you know, my original idea was, Mm -hmm. fine. It's a spectrum of people, a spectrum of ideas, a spectrum of beliefs. Yes. As long as one is respectful to one another, that's Mm -hmm. what it's all about. One of the craziest things I see is now it's a stigma to be a (laughs) flip-flopper, right? So it's literally a bad thing to change Change your your opinion opinion. now, Uh right? So you'd want to live in an environment where you, if you found some new data, then you'd want to change your opinion, right? But now it's looked at as a bad thing. Like you're not staying true to your base or, or something. Well, here's, here's an example that goes way back and I, I may not get quite all the details right, but it's, it's close enough. Um, Albert Einstein was giving a lecture, I believe at the University of Chicago on something and he's at the blackboard and he's going on and on and on. And, and this is at the uh, era where graduate students had to stay at the back and they weren't supposed to be recognized uh, mm-hmm. if they have a question or whatever. And this was a time when Wolfgang Pauli was not yet the big name that he was. He was, he was still a, a student, but um, Pauli was a very precocious kind of guy. So Einstein gives his talk, mm-hmm. he gets to the end and the moderator 
uh, a distinguished professor at University of Chicago says, are there any questions? And he only intends to talk to the people at the front rows who are themselves faculty members or visiting faculty. And Paulie's in the back of the room with his hand going like this. I got a question. I got a question trying to get the uh, attention of the mm-hmm. moderator. And wouldn't recognize, in fact, the moderator's getting annoyed for Paulie making a spectacle of himself back yeah. there. Okay, so finally, Einstein goes, and I can't do a German accent of too well, but just let me try. Uh, not trying to offend any Germans <laughs> out there. Uh, uh, it looks like the young man at the back of the room uh, has a question. Um, you know, so what yeah. you can do, Einstein recognized him. The guy's not going to, the moderator's not going to say, well, we don't let them speak. Uh, and so, uh, Paulie starts walking up the aisle at the mm-hmm. big lecture hall, all the way to the front of the room. And he goes to the microphone and says, what Herr Professor Einstein has said is very elegant and very thorough. And it is also very incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> he goes up to the blackboard, so it is said, and uh-huh. just erases everything. And he starts doing the lecture all over again. Yeah. And Einstein's standing off to the side while the moderator's looking on in total furious behavior at the, what I, uh, what, um, uh, uh, Pauly has done. And Einstein's looking at this and he goes, when Pauly's done, you know, he's correct. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. You know, that's it's, what it's all about. I mean, right. if, if Spec- I'm in a classroom and I get something wrong at the blackboard, I want people to tell me, not mm-hmm. just let it go to the end and say, well, I get there and I say, oh, that's a revolting development. Where the hell did I go wrong? And I say, well, I think there's something over here. Um, well, why didn't you tell me? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have no problem with being pointed out that I made a mistake. Uh-huh. Uh, cause the whole point is to, to, you know, present material for you guys to assimilate, uh, correctly. Right. Yeah, it, so you said something earlier that's really interesting to me and correct in my mind, and it's that you got to mean what you say and say what you mean, and if you do that, then you shouldn't have to worry about mm-hmm. retracting statements, okay? Because ideally, you wouldn't be putting out a statement that, that you wouldn't want to be out there anyway. Right. Well, let me be balanced. Let, let me say that if I were, and I'm not going to mention what my voting uh, record, I'm an independent, by the way, I'm officially a Democrat, but I'm kind of ashamed of my Democratic Party for the last 50 years. Uh, they, they lost their way. But anyway, I'm not going to say where I vote because I go on both sides mm-hmm. um, of the ballot, um, of, of the aisle politically. Anyhow, uh, if somebody were in the last election to have been a, um, a devoted Hillary Clinton supporter for mm-hmm. a particular reason, uh, and they stuck to that, they never would have to apologize in the presence of a Trump supporter. Right. On the other hand, if somebody wanted to vote for Trump for a particular reason, uh, and they believe that very strongly, they should never have to be looked upon as a deplorable. Right. Um, disagree. Mm-hmm. Which is the way it, it used to be in Congress. There was some, oh, if you look over the history of political debate, in uh, Washington, D.C., there were some areas where there's a lot of yelling and screaming going on on the floor of the Senate. Well, not so much the Senate, but the House, but mm-hmm. the Senate, Senate too, occasionally. And then later on, they, the people would go out and have a beer together somewhere uh, at a, um, downtown or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it was, yeah, okay, you, you knock down, drag out your ideas by argument, but you don't call each other deplorables or whatever uh, uh, somebody who was a Trump follower might call a, a, a political liberal. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's stupid that um, things are so polarized. Yeah. And so... And somebody has the idea that they're correct. Right. You're going to yes. find out in life that most of the time you're wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 I agree. And so the the another thing that has troubled me um, 
re- recently in particular is this whole say what you mean, mean what you say in inside of this framework is that has been taken so far, though, that now jokes aren't even understood. Oh, I know. So last night, just last night, I had, a, night I had a, I had a, I had a, yes, I had a girl get mad at me, like mad at me because I said, I hate Amish people. Okay. <laughs> now I was going, you were, to, going I was joke. going into a joke about how they take up the damn road with their stupid horse. And, <laughs> you know, a, a, a whole, it's like a, it's like you just have a bit, right? And you want to yeah. get the bit out and it's, you, you make people laugh and you're drinking, you're having a good time. And for whatever reason, mine was, I hate Amish people. And she got upset with me because she thought I was literally being Saying, like, I hate Amish like, people. I don't know, re- religious ist or yeah. I, I don't know even what, I don't, Amish right. isn't a race. So I, I, I don't understand. Right. I, I don't know. And it, George Carlin, where are you? We need you again. <laughs> In fact, the funny thing is, I've made a couple of jokes recently uh, that were George Carlin's, and uh, uh, people didn't even know who George Carlin was. Yeah. Uh, God. Uh, this gives me a chance to uh, uh, use the F word. George Carlin came here, uh, like home in college. Oh, really? It was one of the uh, concerts that I managed to get to. Somebody gave me a ticket, and I went. Uh, and he comes out. He goes, hey, Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he started his program. Yes. Uh, and, and he wasn't saying, you know, you guys are jackasses or anything right. like that. He's just breaking the uh-huh. mood. And, and then th- he goes on to his jokes. This is the thing that blows my mind is like, when I say, when I say the, when I say fuck, when I say anything, like any, anything at all, no matter what comment I make, there's a good chance that I'm joking. Yeah. I'm not being malicious. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to turn people off. I'm not trying to offend you. No. I'm, I'm literally trying to, to create an environment where, you know, I bring in all of these different people with all of these different back- backgrounds, people who, who like to, this sort of a more offensive comedy and people who like the clean mm-hmm. comedy and, and clean outreach and offensive outreach. And because I, I have never heard of offensive like like um like vulgar science outreach. Uh-huh. I've never heard of anyone doing that. Right. And my suspicion is that by not doing that, okay, you are excluding like a a large part a large portion of the population who would just think that you're boring. Mm-hmm. They don't want to learn about the shit you're talking about because yeah. you're boring. So if you could find a way to entertain them, right. and if entertaining them means making jokes and being right. vulgar sometimes, then that's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make. But I find well, that I there's know. like a pushback. Right. I don't know. I understand what you're, you're saying by um, saying vulgar, but I think you just mean using language yes. uh, that is more... I mean, let's face it. Okay, you go to the cafeteria, and it's not just our campus, but any cafeteria. You're going to hear words mm-hmm. that you don't expect a professor, perhaps, in the traditional boring sense of what a professor is, to say. Right. But you know that what I try to do when I'm in the classroom is make it more human. Mm-hmm. So there's not a gulf yes. between what I'm doing at the blackboard and what you're doing in your seats. And hopefully we're trying to think about the same sort of thing. And if I end up going down a wrong alley of trying something, I'll, I'll say, oh, remember our um, uh, visiting students from Brazil? They got a kick out of the phrase they never heard of before. Uh, I, I didn't say the vulgarity. I just go, what the? Yeah, right. <laughs> Stop. Uh-huh. It, it, you could put in what the hell, yeah, what yeah, the yeah, exactly. F word, yeah. what the what. But I just say, what the? 
Yeah. You know, when uh-huh. things wouldn't be going quite right. And then, you know, you, you guys would chime in and say, uh, well, back here, you know, I think there, there's, a, you made a mistake dividing by two. Yep. And you got seven instead of three. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a common uh, thing. Professors are not, um, up on a pedestal. Right. And any one of us who thinks that they are, they're, uh, forgetting their humanity. Yes. So I, I, I know what you mean by what you yeah. say by vulgarity, but uh-huh. I mean, uh, it, it's not like we're doing, um, this is by defi- rap songs. This is why definitions are, are important. Right, right, right. right. And, uh, yes, exactly. Anti woman yes. or anti, yes. uh, whatever, uh-huh. uh, ethnic group. No, I, I know what you mean. It's just yeah. language that is more, let's say, colloquial. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> than, uh, and, highfalutin. Yes. And I've noticed this, like, happening recently as the show gets gets bigger and as more people put their eyes on it then i get more people who are saying no i don't want to be involved because i don't feel comfortable being involved with the thing that you're doing hmm. you know even though it's you'll it's, find more of that yes it's weird because even though on this platform i give you the opportunity to speak to literally the world by the world like the, the the like a chunk of the world i give you the opportunity to speak of what was that you said you're in 65 countries yes wow si- 65 countries you can speak to but yet you won't do it because you're afraid that that someone will look at, say, episode 32, and they'll be like, well, Brendan said he hates the Amish people in episode 32. <laughs> and you recorded episode 47, so does that mean you, David Fisher, you hate the Amish? Should should we be concerned that you hate the Amish? Should we fire you? Should we yeah. remove your tent? You know, There's lots of jokes you could come up with starting up by saying, you know, I hate the Amish. Yes. And here's why. <laughs> exactly. It, it's joking. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to, you're one of the few people I felt like I could actually have this discussion with mm-hmm. because i you're one of the few people who would actually sit here and be honest about the way that you feel and the way that you do your lectures and the way that you teach people and the way that you feel an education should be most people wouldn't be honest yeah most people wouldn't be honest because most people can't be honest with themselves which is why that they don't want to be on a show like this yeah. because when they're at home they're probably perfectly fine Say, you know, saying stuff to their wife or to, or to their kids or, you know, at the grocery store, they forgot their wallet. They're perfectly fine blurting mm-hmm. out the obscenity. Um, but when it comes to education, mm-hmm. there's this like stigma that it needs to be clean. Well, there, my, my family was not one to, uh, say expletives that yeah. much. Mine was. Uh, but what, there were times when, <laughs> okay, okay, oh, we, we get a kick out of it. But dad might say something that, really? <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, it, my dad always taught me to, to be uh, genuine, right. not, not to uh, put on any airs. Okay, I got a PhD in physics. All right, so what? Uh, right. I can still stub my toe. Yep. <laughs> I can still trip going up the steps. Yes. Uh, I can still be laughed at for doing something silly. Uh, I, I, uh, I know I'm never going to win a Nobel Prize, but uh, who knows? Maybe some of my students might eventually go on and win a Nobel Prize, but mm-hmm. uh, I've made my contributions. Right. I, I'm happy with what I uh, have done in the field, uh, but I refuse to wear the suit business because that's too much of an air. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not who you are. That's not who I am. Um, I don't feel comfortable with a tie. In fact, mm-hmm. I wrote a poem once. It said, bury me not. I forget what the title of it was, but the basic idea is bury me not strangled at the neck. Right. Uh, that's the <laughs> opening line. And it went on to say, you know, I'd rather have a trilobite and a compass in each hand uh, as, as you put mm-hmm. me in a casket than uh, uh, something to re- remember the past and something to steer me toward the future or mm-hmm. something like that. Well, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time ago yeah, that I wrote yeah. that. But uh, don't put me in a suit. I didn't wear it in life. Right. So don't bury yes. me uh, with yeah, a, so, with a so suit. Sorry to drag you through the 20-minute conversation focused on something as simple as saying the F word. <laughs> But but the, the 
I just feel now I don't necessarily want students to start saying that back at me right uh-huh. uh, in class. Right, there's a time and a place. Exactly, you know? and I try to do my best to. And of course, our whole conversation was laced with obscenities just there, not mm-hmm. because because it needed to be for the context, right? It needed to be for the context of uh-huh. what we were talking. We had to use examples, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't. I never do it to offend someone. Right. And if I'm interviewing someone. And I don't know their stance on it. I always wait for them to be the the mm-hmm. instigator. Yeah, I always wait for them to say, you know, the f- the first thing. And it, it's not just obscenities. It's it's colorful language at all. It's it's jokes. It's puns. It's anything. I wait for you to do it, and then oh, and yeah. then I'll start bouncing back because then I know where our conversation can go. Whereas if you're being very clean, you're answering the questions in a bullet point format, and you, and you're just trying to get the hell out of there. Then, then we'll do that too. But what, like, one of the interesting things to me is I had, um, Ray Weiss, the Nobel laureate on, mm-hmm. and he was the most real person. Oh, yeah. Other than you and, and some other guests that I know personally. I'm really a hologram, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the people I know personally who are the most loose. Uh huh. Um, but he was the most real person, mm-hmm. like, personality wise that I've had on. The literal, the first words he said to me, when he started the show, and, and I talk about this on our episode, the first thing he said, he picked up the Skype call, and he said, the state of the universe? What the hell do you know about the state of the universe? <laughs> That's the very first thing All he right. said to me. And, and his, the conversation was, was one of the best I've ever recorded because he was a real – I felt like I was getting the real him. Uh-huh. And that's all I want from my guests is for them to come on and be the real them. Yeah. And I feel like this stigma about, about you know um, being so clean prevents a lot of people from being the real them. Right. And, and it, again, it's not just obscenities. That's yeah. just the example we're using. Mm-hmm. It's everything. It's jokes. It's humor. It's, it's all of it. Um, and, and it's very troubling. And yeah, correct imaging uh, of oneself is just wrong. Yes. Now, I'll give you an example, and we'll transition into talking about the moon because that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about science sometime. Okay. Um, I had a guest on uh, in my past, and I wanted to talk to them about the Apollo programs, but they told me that that subject was essentially off limits. And the reason it was off limits was because they didn't want to reveal their age. What? Because by talking about the Apollo program and they talking about if they were, uh, they the fact that they it. were alive at the time would have given the audience the impression that they're old and they want to protect. <laughs> so this, this is the thing. These are the things I deal with. These well, are the things I deal with. Well, dear God, uh, I, I can tell you, I, I understand a little bit, although I don't empathize with that stance. I can understand that a little bit. Uh, what was it, about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, uh, we, a scholars program, which I've been involved with since God knows when, uh, back when the, the dinosaurs were still running around uh, north of Williamsport. Uh, but I was involved with uh, the uh, scholars program uh, very uh, much more deeply that semester when we were doing the Beatles because it was the 50th anniversary. I suggested, okay, uh, it's the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I wanted to just go into the album itself. Uh, cause there's a lot to go into there, but we did the Beatles in total. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was fine. And I was the only one in the whole group, faculty included, who actually was alive when the Beatles were. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I'm the old fart in the room. Yeah. Uh, and the thing was, it was funny to hear some of these scholars talking and I said, sorry, that's wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, they didn't live it. They didn't see it. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You're wrong. This is what really happened. Yeah. So I got to be the cranky old fart uh-huh. in, in addition to, to point out how uh, it really was. Uh, 
1962, this is what happened, not what you're saying. Um, so, okay. Uh, we had one uh, faculty member who was born the year the Beatles broke up. <laughs> so that was the closest we got to it. But I was the only one who was alive during that whole era. So, all right. Well, I'm, I'm old enough to have lived through the entirety of the uh, space age. Yeah. Uh, I'm two years older than Sputnik. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the math. If you know that Sputnik was launched on October 4th, 1957, oh, I gave it away. Um, okay, so I've lived through the entirety of the space age, mm-hmm. and I'm only one of two people that we're aware of in the world who has written about every manned spacecraft, uh, every manned spaceflight. Now, I do it from an academic standpoint. The other person does it from a journalistic standpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've both done every one. Since and I, I don't know if he he does uh, Jay Barbary from NBC News. I'd love to meet him sometime in person, but um, I don't know if he does Chinese and uh, Russian ones. I do them too, mm-hmm. uh, and w- whatever will come along uh, with other countries in the, the relatively near future. India sh- should probably be the next one to launch their own uh, spacecraft. So yeah, I'm getting used. I'm getting used to the the old fart kind of uh, thing, but it doesn't bother me. I am. But it's what not I am. a bad thing. Why right? the hell should I tell people? Well, I really wasn't born in 1955. Uh, I've been around a while, but yeah, I was born in 1955. I don't remember much of 1955. Uh-huh. In fact, I remember nothing of 1955. But I do remember a lot from when I was two. Uh, right. But not Sputnik mm-hmm. <laughs> for some but th- reason. But th- this is interesting because you know it also puts you in in what I would call maybe your formative scientific years oh, absolutely. when the Apollo program is really getting well, people. Well, even before that, yeah. John Glenn's launch. That day I was homesick, and I remember that uh, very, very vividly, and that set me on the course that put me in front of your microphone today. Yeah. I am... That literally inspired a generation of scientists, yeah. right? It, it. I heard that the, the first landing, the first landing, I heard this just said... With no context, I'm not sure how true it is, so you can tell me, that literally half the world's population was watching. I don't know if it was half, but it, it was uh, uh, it was the biggest audience for a live event. Uh, it broke the record the Beatles had set uh, when they did uh, the first intercontinental broadcast involving all of the continents except Antarctica mm-hmm. uh, for uh, the recording, the live recording of uh, All You Need Is Love. Uh, which I did in the Beatles uh, seminar thing where I wanted everybody to sort of see that video and mm-hmm. also sing along. And they're looking at me like, huh? <laughs> I didn't get the response. I thought that'd be a great way to just sort of put ourselves in the time frame and go yeah. forward from there. But uh, it didn't go over. So, you know, I can, I can goof too. I thought that would be a neat way to start. But yeah, I, um, it, it did. And here, since we're transitioning over to spaceflight, here's something before I forget it that's it's very important. And the difference between what we're uh, seeing being tried to do, and I, I like to say it that way, the business mm-hmm. about getting to the moon in five years, mm-hmm. which is really only four and a half, um, yeah. which uh, is very different than what it was for the Apollo. You brought up the inspiration thing. The inspiration was, okay, it had never been done before. Mm-hmm. In fact, most people thought it was impossible when it was first proposed. In fact, it was impossible, other than on paper or in the blackboard. Some people still think it's oh, impossible. Yeah, no, I get those well, emails all the time. Let's not even go to those idiots. <laughs> I mean, uh, I have no problem with stupidity. A person who doesn't know something, uh-huh. okay, you, the word stupidity might be applied to that. And I'm the stupidest person there is. Because there's, I, I know... So little about the universe, despite the fact that's what I teach about. Uh-huh. All right. We all are stupid with regard to what the nature of everything is. 
But stupidity is different from ignorance. And you can teach somebody or you can help somebody to learn and learn along with them if they're, quote, stupid. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if somebody's ignorant, I I don't want to even bother with it. uh, uh, Anyway, back in the uh, the day, it was considered impossible. The challenge was to make it happen. And they had to invent so many innovative technologies, mm-hmm. which we now are riding still on the waves of the uh, technological advancement that was put forth by the space program. What they want to do now is do more off-the-shelf stuff. Right. The thing is, okay, it's and that's that's been with space shuttle, mm-hmm. which why part of the reason why it didn't necessarily inspire the generations as much still mm-hmm. little kids loved it and even though some little kids had, have been a lot have were born after the shuttle start flying stop flying they're still interested in hearing about it mm-hmm. uh, because it's going to space but uh it, it wasn't a generational inspiration to go on to do greater things mm-hmm. uh, because it was supposed to be cheap Rather than expensive, right? Uh, and I, I, I know cheap is better than expensive in terms of money. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm cheap, <laughs> rather than spending a spendthrift, uh, except on certain things. But anyhow, uh, Steak, you know what? Bison, bison, <laughs> space-related things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, um, we're trying to do it as off-the-shelf uh, technologies, and we're not going to necessarily get as much a technological advancement out of it by going that approach. Right. Let's try new stuff. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about this five year thing because Apollo was a grand idea cut short by politics. Mm-hmm. The last three uh, missions were canceled and they would have been even greater than the three that were the end of the Apollo program. Mm-hmm. Scientific, um, missions were Apollo 15, 16, and 17. But 18, 19, and 20 would have even gone further, uh, right. than that. But the hardware, you find it in museums. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that it was built. The biggest expense was uh, paid in making it be. Mm-hmm. The actual flying of the mission would have been the cheapest little bit of savings. And they decided, well, okay, well, we're going to put it in, in museum. They didn't save. They put mm-hmm. it in museum. But they're going to mothball the program. Yeah. But this is supposed to be, in principle, something that continues. Mm-hmm. It builds. It builds. It builds. More of an Antarctica-like exploration than mm-hmm. it was, as they refer to it, NASA these days. And I don't like this flags and footprints as if it that demeans apollo you know, mm-hmm. like that all they did was right. put up flags and walk around mm-hmm. there's a lot more to it than that uh but i understand what they're getting at the motivation mm-hmm. but the thing is if we're just rushing to get there in five years and i'm not getting any younger i want to get back to the moon before i die mm-hmm. uh so okay that that's that's great but i want something that is sustained that isn't right. okay we've gone back to the moon and now Let's wait another 50 years before we go back to the moon again. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, spread out into the solar system. Right. One of the, one of the things that I, I really wanted to ask you about, because I don't have a good idea, is today, in, in today's NASA, we, we have a very, very widespread focus on tons of projects. We have the James Webb, we have the other, you know, um, decadal, we have the decadal survey going right. on right now right. to decide what the next big, um, big observatory is going to be. While we're maintaining all the other observatories and we're working on the ISS and we're constantly. Well, Spitzer's going to be turned off. Yeah. Getting the next year. We're, we're doing all of this stuff. How much of NASA's focus was just on getting to the moon back in the 60s? Oh, um. Was well, it like a singular focus? Was it a singular effort? It was, was it- the biggest thing, but the thing was because we knew so little, uh, there was so much else going on. Um, 
we had to know what the moon was like. And so there was an enormous amount of uh, robotic exploration attempted. Mm -hmm. And the earliest stuff failed miserably. If you um, look at the history of just trying to hit the moon with something, they missed by 100,000 miles uh, quite often in the very beginning. Um, many of them didn't even get out of the Earth's atmosphere. They ended up mm -hmm. exploring the ocean depths because the rocket went. Well, we don't down. know much about that either. So right. it might have been. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, but <laughs> yeah, though that that always bugs me when they say we know more about the surface of the moon. We do the depths of the talk to the yeah. Navy about yeah. that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. See what they think about. They just that. don't want to tell you. They just don't want to tell you. Yeah. The aliens. That yeah, live and, that's yeah. that's a ridiculous statement. Uh, but anyhow, uh, the idea was okay. Let's go on and really study the moon so we know where to land. Mm -hmm. But while we're at it, oh, there's this great thing called the universe. So we started sending probes to Mars, mm -hmm. uh, to Venus. It took uh, longer to get uh, closer into the sun and also further out th than Mars, uh, than the Apollo program era with, you know, the Mariner uh, uh, 10 to Mercury and then uh, the uh, Pioneer 10 and 11 and later the Voyagers in the outer solar system. That was post-Apollo time. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, Apollo was the driver. And because of that, there was money for the science missions as mm -hmm. support. Now, the science community has still not learned that lesson, that it is the human stuff that drives the funding for the science. Mm -hmm. Because Congress doesn't give a shit about science. It's true. Let, 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 let's be frank. Yeah. Science is not something except the occasional scientist, which is rare, or mm -hmm. doctor, is rare, that is a uh, senator or uh, representative. What they're interested in is what the general public is more interested in. What they can relate to are people in space. Mm -hmm. um, you know, talk to the average person and they might say, what do I care about what's going on in one of Jap uh, Jupiter's moons? Mm -hmm. All right. Some of them will say, well, that's very interesting. But then they move on. But a lot of them, but in my day, until the first moon landing, and people lost a little bit of interest, it's only natural. Mm -hmm. uh, they say, oh, what are they doing with my God, they're traveling 17,500 miles an hour and coming within six inches of each other. The first rendezvous, Gemini mm -hmm. 6 and 7 in 1965, uh, which incidentally was my first lecture. Mm. In fifth grade, the uh, teacher didn't know how to explain the orbital dynamics of rendezvous. You were lecturing in fifth grade? Yeah. Oh. Because what taught me? The news coverage. Mm -hmm. They actually knew that what they were talking about. They went to the blackboard and talked about apogee, perigee, uh, how you do orbital mechanics to fire in a posigrade or retrograde to either go up or down in altitude. Uh -huh. And so, I mean, it was a fifth grader talking. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's not a right. college lecture about kinetic and potential energy. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, I explained it because the teacher didn't know how to do it uh, because I'd learned it from Frank McGee of NBC News mm -hmm. <laughs> who used trains on tracks to make things rendezvous up and connect or going to the blackboard and put real numbers. Yes, this is a 10-second burn in a positive-grade direction in order to slow down and drop the, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, th they actually taught us instead of today's journalists going, whoa, I could watch that all day long. You know, something launches and or something goes bad. Oh, that doesn't look too good. That that's all they know. Mm -hmm. uh, back then, the news coverage was fantastic. They they did their homework. They understood the science, the engineering as best as they could, and explained it to the public. Um, so the average person was interested in that. All right, you land on the moon. They followed that for ten years, mm -hmm. and then what's the second one going to be like? Well, the interest went down. Right, it's only natural. Uh, but that doesn't mean pe the people were against money being spent on a space program. Mm -hmm. All my life, I've dealt with that uh, kind of thing, and it's 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 a wrong-headed statement. 
you know, people come to planetariums. They're still interested in the stars. They're mm-hmm. still interested in hearing about this stuff. I've given lots of public outreach over my uh, years. And they still find that people thank me when they see my car in town with the NASA decals on it. They mm-hmm. don't say, hey, are you an astronaut? Or do you work for NASA? Um, when I tell them what I am, they still thank me yeah. for, for what I hopefully inspire in other people to continue to do that. But the thing is, it goes like, like this. When I was a kid, I was always drug along to my grandmother's brother's place. He was an engineer on the Reading Railroad in the early days. And he's always talking, train story this, train story that. And I think, what's so great about trains? Well, I think for me, trains have always been around. But he was there in the early days, and it was an exciting adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, a lot of kids, well, to them, it's always, what do you mean space flight hasn't always been around? You know, it's the same thing. Once you've done going to the moon and landed once, do you expect everybody to sit down in front of the TV and watch it happening from there on? No. So, yeah, the public interest went down, but that didn't mean they say, oh, stop that. We've gone to the right. moon now. But the other thing is, like, you're measuring public interest wrong. Exactly. Right. That's what my point was. Pu- public yeah. interest right. doesn't necessarily correlate with TV viewership all of the time. Right. Right. And the same, the, that's true for, for a lot of science. You know, public viewer, public interest, in black holes cannot be cannot be garnered by just looking at a oh picture. a NASA, NASA's new um, black hole video gets three hundred sixty thousand views, <laughs> but the you know the twenty five thousand yeah, dislikes. How can anybody yeah. dislike a, a picture? I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand. Know. But um, yeah, you know, it's it's a faulty mechanism for measuring uh, public interest. Right. I think the real way to measure public interest is to look at the generation of people that grew up at that time. Yeah. And look how many of them are so damn fascinated in space. Mm-hmm. You well, know, it's not just that. In science in general, mm-hmm. in technology, in my time, uh, and this may sound sexist, but I'm telling you the truth. When I was a kid, there were two things kids wanted to be quite often. Mm-hmm. Guys wanted to be astronauts, and girls wanted to marry an astronaut. Mm-hmm. They were literally sorry, rock that stars. Was, that, yeah. was the, that was the social mm-hmm. uh, web of the day. Um, women didn't think they could be astronauts because they were being taught that well, mm-hmm. women don't do science. Yes. That's which is wrong-headed. Which yeah, we should say it's a, that's a shame. But that's a shame. But that's the way it tr- was. Yes, exactly. It, it, I'd be lying yes. to say otherwise. And so th- the thing was, all right, you want to be an astronaut. Well, there's no need for 120 million astronauts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did a lot of those guys and uh, the the young women who said, "I'm not just going to think about marrying an astronaut," mm-hmm. when they grew up, they said, "Oh." this science stuff does interest me despite the fact my teacher may be telling me that girls can't do it mm. idiots who said that but um the uh i mean the teachers who said that right. were the idiots um they might say well i'm going to be a doctor uh i'm going to be an engineer mission control <laughs> mm-hmm. or i'm going to go on to deep sea uh, exploration you could just rattle off an enormous amount of things that people were moved into because they, as kids, thanks to the teachers stopping everything and sitting us up in front of the TV and watching this all for hours and hours and hours, mm-hmm. which turned out to be better than their their uh, uh, lectures anyway. <laughs> um, I was bored to tears in school. Me too. I hated but, it. Uh, thank goodness we did that. And then a lot of my teachers just let me go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was interested in, I studied. Uh, anyhow can't do that these days. I, I would have uh, been probably sent off for corrective thinking. I was going to say, that's <laughs> another thing that I find yeah. a problem with that's beating the science out yeah. of kids. 
You, you kill the innovation. You kill yes. the uh, interest to explore yes. and uh, the uh, secondary mm-hmm. school systems yep. with uh, and that, things being so regimented. Yes. And it's not but, even just science that's killed off. It's oh, yeah. literally it's any passion. Day. It's any passion you could imagine yeah. having. Teaching it, to it, a it test just gets is mutilated. Just yes. Uh, no, my my teachers, some of them would actually, if they were doing what they did in my day, doing it now would be sent off to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a physics professor, uh, God rest his soul. I found out he died 10 years ago. I wish I'd known that earlier, but, um, he, he also was involved with the enrichment workshop, which for that saved me in, in school, took me two days out of the week away from the classroom in the afternoons to just explore stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and do chemistry experiments, uh, and whatever. He let me take stuff home to do my own experiments years in advance of when I taught. Oh yeah. I, now that's another story. I actually did teach 11th grade chemistry in part the labs because we, lost the teacher and they kept getting substitutes who couldn't mix a solution so by lost do you mean like the he died loss of, of, he lost died in the of woods? stroke no oh, he, he died of a stroke the first day couldn't of class. find his way to school he was a or? much beloved teacher and uh-huh. the doctors had told him at the end of the previous year yeah retire mm-hmm. he said no i'm i'll rest up over summer and he came back first day of class he had a stroke and died Jeez. uh he was that devoted uh but they kept getting one substitute after another uh-huh. that could teach a little bit the classroom stuff, but didn't know how to mix a solution. And so the physics professor said, yeah, this guy's been doing chemistry for five years. Let him run the chemistry lab, even mm-hmm. though I was a student in the class. Uh, so, so, you know, you couldn't do that today. The, the teacher would be hauled off and I'd be hauled off, but he let me take home stuff to work on at my house. Mm. Um, that, well, it, it was it was a saving thing to keep me going in, in science, or I might have gotten bored with with even that. Anyway, what were we going at? I just got sidetracked there. Um, we we're uh, going at main, maintaining a interest. passion, an interest uh, and passion, passion in this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you got to let people follow what interests them. Mm-hmm. Here's a funny one. Um, when I first came here, Star Wars was uh, still relatively new. Uh, 77 was when the first movie came out, and I started here in 84. So we would have gotten through Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. but just the year before. And the students in SPS wanted to build a lightsaber. <laughs> and we had no budget. I mean, uh-huh. I think the student center gave us 25 bucks for the year. And I didn't want to totally dissuade them and saying, you know, we're not going to be able to build a lightsaber. There's no way of getting light to stop moving after it's gone this right. far and, and maintain a nice little column shape. But I let them try with what little we had. Mm-hmm. And part of learning is that sometimes you get frustrated that you can't do what you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a part of the learning process. You know, the weird thing is now you can actually make a lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, I got an ad just the other day on Facebook showing, now it's not, the Star Wars kind of lightsaber. There's no kyber crystal in uh-huh. it, but it has a nice way of simulating a, 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 a and it's not one of these cheapo things that you can get mm-hmm. with the plastic and the light bulb inside of it. No, this is actually uh, something that is remarkably looking like as a special effect, hmm. a lightsaber. And so you can build something now, but 1984, that was just ridiculous. You're not going to do that, mm-hmm. but you don't say you can't do that. I hate to say it, but it's not just my institution, but now we're uh, having things imposed upon us externally onto the institution and then by the institution, What not what we can do, but what we can't do. Mm-hmm. Drives me nuts. 
Uh, I'm probably going to, before I retire, find that due to OSHA and insurance issues, we're, I'm not going to be able to, as an experimentalist, teach people how to work with power tools, lest they hurt themselves. Nobody's ever hurt themselves uh, here. Seriously. Yeah. One kid managed to cut himself on the bandsaw. I took him to the men's room, cleaned his wound. We left a little trail of blood going from the shop to the uh, uh, men's room. But and he turned out okay. He turned out okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, he went on to be four zero that semester. He didn't uh, come around and want to shoot me, right? <laughs> because yeah. I said build something, uh-huh. and he cut himself. But no, uh, that's uh, that's well, cutting yourself while you're making something is part of learning too. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to cut something off, but, um, yeah, mm-hmm. not everything goes perfectly and you don't just buy stuff. You have to build something. And th- this, th- th- that's could literally be a tagline for the entire Apollo program too. Yeah. What you just said. Innovation. It, yes. Build it, and try. Do you see, what, what's the comparisons you see between, between what happened between the Americans getting to the moon in 1969 versus 50 years later, our efforts to get back? Like, what are the biggest similarities you see? And then what are the things that strike you as as being so fundamentally different and mind-boggling? To tell you the truth, it's not akin at all. Uh, because here's the thing. How did we get to the moon and the Russians didn't? Alexei Leonov, um, whose birthday was just the other day, excuse me, the first man to walk in space, uh, I, I was really happy to meet him in, in reality. I met a couple of people that night, one of which was John Travolta, but uh, I was much happier to, to meet the first man who walked <laughs> in space, Alexei Leonov. Uh, he's a riot. He's 85 now. But um, he, he explained it because people asked him, why did the Russians never get to the moon and uh, the Americans beat you? And he goes, reason Americans got to moon in 1969 and Russians did not was you spent 25 billion we spent 2 billion <laughs> so money is is a is an issue yeah. I mean, the russians had good people the russian space program was always marked by even greater risk than ours mm-hmm. they cut corners like crazy and paid the price uh there were times when we cut corners and we paid the price with the apollo fire uh but uh by and large we had to invent how you got there, and we had to spend a lot of money. $25 billion is nothing today, but right. $25 billion back then compared to the budget was mm-hmm. a significant amount. But even so, wasn't that all-encompassing? The biggest proportion of the budget during the Apollo area uh, was 4% NASA got. Four cents out of every dollar, mm-hmm. that's not that big of a deal. For God's sakes, we need to do more research and development. Yeah. Um, but that's another topic. But now we know how to get there. Right. Now we have the money. Mm-hmm. We just aren't doing it because there's no rush to get us there. Right. And there's no desire universally to spend mm-hmm. the money. So we could get there anytime we want on any time frame if we have enough of a commitment nationally. Uh, I don't think we have enough people in order to do it in five years. We need to make more hires, and we need also to give NASA more money. Uh, the Trump administration gave them a $1.6 billion extra. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Uh, I, I don't see the money being there. It's be- it's better than it was in recent years, and I'm right. not just talking about the Obama years, which were a disaster for NASA, mm-hmm. uh, but um, and wasted time, too. Uh, but uh, the previous Bush, uh, the second Bush uh, administration, also had a 
good idea. They just didn't fund it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, right. So you, you, you can't go if you don't have the funds. Uh, and you also can't go if you don't have the commitment. Right now, we seem to have a commitment. Mm-hmm. Right now, for some reason, the uh, current administration has an urgency. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, uh, I think it's very telling that you see the 2024 number. Right. Right, because it's... It's something I can to only work imagine. For. It's it's something to work for, but but it's also 2024 for right. a reason, and the reason is that 2024 Donald Trump is out of the office. Well, yeah, he, it, he regardless, wants to get it done yeah, while he's still yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's not a good reason necessarily to do it. But, it's not a good reason, but at least but it's, it's a driver. Yes. Can you exactly. imagine going to college and saying someday I'll graduate? Yeah. You exactly. Know, you come here as everybody mm-hmm. else does, and here at like Homan College, I'm putting in a plug, people. Uh, we get people out in four years. Mm-hmm. We, we do that very well, and not just in our program, but across the board. You go to universities, it may take you six years. Mm-hmm. But thing is, there's a reasonable expectation between four and six years, you're done. Could you imagine going to college, and the idea was, come here, and someday you'll finish? Yeah. it's You have to have an end goal in exactly. mind with a timetable exactly. and the resources. Mm-hmm. Well, we've had neither of those over the last 50 years with regard to getting back to the moon. Right. So in that sense, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. We got this and, and, five-year and, thing, yeah. but put the money there yep. and you know, to, not just To works. take the analogy even further, you know, you, you come to a university or a college like this, and you're not only told, we'll get you out of here in four years, but you're given us a very, very well-structured set of courses. Right. You're going to take these courses, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, then you're going to get to the final step right. and you get the degree. Right. That that's something that's something that I actually see happening in China with yeah. the, with the Chinese program. Well, where, where they say, okay, you know, their timelines are super long. They're not going. They're not. Right. Putting, they they don't plan on putting people in the moon until the twenty thirties or even later. But they're still. They're saying first we're going to do this. Yep. Then we're going to do the. Is it the Changi? Is that how you yeah. pronounce it? Changi. The Changi yeah. missions. So we're gonna. They're on number five now, right. I believe. Then they got number six and, and number what seven. What did they do? They put and, something on the far side of the moon. Exactly. And they did something we never tried mm-hmm. they put in a telecommunication satellite in orbit so that they could communicate with something on the back end of the of the moon harrison schmidt great guy to talk to uh was on the last moon mission apollo 17 the only scientist to go to the moon mm-hmm. uh, the only geologist he lobbied hard and kind of got pushed off to the side when he did but he lobbied hard for apollo 17 to land on the back side of the moon but they said, well, it would cost too much. We would have to put three satellites around the, the moon so that you have, you know, 120 degree, uh, difference, mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, angular separation. And this is for communication, right? Nobody thought, Hey, if you put it at a halo position mm-hmm. where you can see the earth at all times and also the backside of the moon, all you need is one. Right. And so that's what the Chinese did. They put up a Chang'e telecommunication mm-hmm. satellite. Uh, no, it wasn't called Ch- Chang'e. Sorry. Uh, forget the name of it now, but, um, they put a communication satellite first. It works. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we, we try and land on the moon, uh, by having a direct line of communication, even though it's on the backside. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of international excitement about that, mm-hmm. myself included, because yeah. hey, we're going back to something on the moon that yeah, we I need thought, to explore. I thought it was great. Yeah. And then they even did the, the PR move of, of bringing what was it, cotton seeds, I think, with. Yeah. So, you know. There's living things now on the surface. Yes. <laughs> um, and so do you think that, that, a government like the United States should take notes from from that. There's some say, things we could learn from the Chinese. Absolutely. Why don't we They're work together? They're learning a lot from us. Um, what is that's the, a good question? Let me say this first. Though. Okay. Uh, the Chinese have learned from the Russians and from us, and that's why they're able to make 
big leaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. They're spreading out their timetable. So they're not spending an enormous amount of money in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. They have, they say, this is what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. And by and large, that's exactly what they do. Yes, they stick Except to it. Except where occasionally when they run into a problem, they'll come back and say, well, we're delaying this for another couple of years. Yep. But they come forward and say that. Mm-hmm. There are those who say, well, the Chinese are just stealing from us. Well, no, it's not stealing. It's out there. On the other side of that wall, I've got all the documentation from the earliest days of space program mm-hmm. up through the end of the space shuttle missions and the current ISS stuff. Um can't see it, but there's a number of stuff on the other side of the wall, mm-hmm. documents. You want to learn how Apollo 13 got home? Fine. It's on the other side of that wall. And you want to know what they were supposed to do, but if the accident hadn't happened, it's on the other side of that wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the largest uh, collections privately uh, in the world. Uh, anyhow, they know what to look at. And the physics is not that that um, innovative anymore. Mm-hmm. They can go from, okay, launch one guy. Then launch two, mm-hmm. <laughs> do a rendezvous, do an EVA, put three people out, put up a little space station, send people up to it, stay for a month. That took us 12 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it didn't take them an enormous number of flights. Well, that was like 33 flights for us to do that. Yeah. Uh, it, they did it in less than 10 because the Russians and us have done it. Mm-hmm. So all they got to do is just borrow, improve, update with technology, be patient, spend the money. And they have the will. Mm-hmm. There are those who said that China would ignite another space race. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. What needs to be, which leads into your question, cooperation. Mm-hmm. Now, there's this worry that the Chinese will steal technology from us if we cooperate with them scientifically. That's hogwash. Mm-hmm. Because everything on the other side of that wall... Uh, hopefully no spies coming in and want to get after us. But on the other side of that wall is anything that the Chinese could get. Now, I had to find it the hard way before there was the internet. I had to go and ask, can I have this? Mm-hmm. Letter write. Um, do every, call on the phone. Would you go into the NASA uh, offices and, oh, and ask? One time I walked into the administrator's office and just sat down. <laughs> <laughs> and I talked my way out of getting the plans for the space shuttle launch pads. Uh, it was the only copy they had. He, he wasn't in, but I got the deputy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to see the deputy. The secretary didn't know what quite to do with me. Um, but I just kept, you know, chatting and mm-hmm. eventually said, can I talk to him? And she said, well, let me see if he's in. Cause I'd like to, to take that, co- that uh, document there. And I, you know, as long as I'm here, uh, I just went from the Smithsonian across the street. NASA was right yeah. next to the Air and Space Museum back in those days, the headquarters. Well, the thing is, my point is, that stuff is all available. I had to find it the hard way before there was an internet. But now everything I got over there is on the internet, Mm -hmm. which makes kind of me superfluous, I guess. Uh, But that was an enormous amount of work to get that together. Hard copies. Those are originals back Mm -hmm. there. They're not things you print off the internet. Um, So anyhow, uh, the Chinese are considered technological, uh, what is it, non-gratis? That's probably not the right word, but... There is a government policy that we don't share mm. with the Chinese. And when was, when was this initiated? When did this, when, when did this begin? Oh, I would say that probably goes all the way back to Cold War, uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, China is the new Russia in terms of stealing, yeah. uh, yeah. technology. They're not stealing. They can get mm-hmm. it in the New York Times or on, on the internet. Mm-hmm. With regard to spaceflight, the key thing to do would be to get the Chinese on board first with the International Space Station. They have wanted to be a part of that since almost the beginning. And Washington, D.C. says, no, 
Uh, well, we still haven't learned that the part of the reason why the Soviet Union changed was we engaged them with detente and mm-hmm. with uh, uh, technological and cultural exchanges. Yelling across a gulf uh, is not the way to engage and change people. The most insidious thing we could do to the Chinese, and we're already doing that to a certain extent, is uh, fill up the place with McDonald's and Burger Kings mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, westernize and we easternize a little bit. But in the space arena, there's an awful lot that could be gained mm-hmm. by making the return to the moon not just an American thing, but the Russians, the Chinese, the Indians, mm-hmm. um, the Japanese, the Europeans, everybody. I think I saw that the Japanese are now going to be involved. Yeah, they right? are. So the is Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would bring along... What would be really cool, if not necessarily the first one, I understand it from a national standpoint of view, we want to be, as the, the Bush, not Bush, uh, the, why well, am I going back in time now? The um, uh, Trump administration <laughs> wants to do, um, we want to be the first to return to the moon, mm-hmm. since we were the first to get to the moon. Which or is the something, only it's the there. weirdest thing it's ever. It's the weirdest thing, I understand it a yeah, little bit. It's 50 years, but, so I guess. Okay, yeah. so maybe starting with the second or the third moon landing. Uh-huh. Let, wouldn't it be neat if they walked down the ladder side by side, um, and you can put this in whatever combination of genders you want, mm-hmm. uh, an American, a Soviet, and a Chinese astronaut. Yeah. And they both put their foot off at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you put three boots in the lunar soil, and it's cooperation. Yes. So we're not going to ever get back unless there's some really bizarre international geopolitical thing, mm-hmm. uh, anything even remotely like what drove Apollo as a competition between the Soviets and the Americans. Mm-hmm. This is never going to happen. I, I just can't foresee it. Yeah. Uh, and that in itself is a stupid thing to say because mm-hmm. as soon as you say that, something happens. Right. Uh, but cooperation is the way. Mm-hmm. What I do see happening, though, that's interesting is um, rather than a, a political space race, I see a private space race that am- amongst the, com- the commercial companies right. that, that want to commercialize space in some way and they want to be the first to... To get to the moon and to begin mining and right. blah, 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 and do all the all the other things. That's still too far off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people who are really thrilled about that. Commercial space has its place, and it can play a huge role in returning to the moon. Mm-hmm. But no company, I don't care how rich Jeff Bezos is uh, or others, no company can foot the bill. Mm-hmm. And they're not interested in the science. It, if you want to right. have a research program, right. it's right. going to be right. government. And I talk I'm not about this. always, yeah, yeah. I'm, that's I, one of the few things I say government does well. Yes. I um, talk about this because you, 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 can, you cannot incentivize a company to, to, so even my research, I'll say my research, you could not incentivize a company to, to build simulations of binary black holes. Right. There's no incentive there. You're not going to make money from it unless you're like selling the video of the, the simulation, but that's going to come nowhere near covering the cost right. of the thing. So you, this is where you need actual government funding to science. Mm-hmm. Has, you need space, has SpaceX ever sent a uh, scientific probe into, uh, well, into space, not even just to the moon or the or Mars as a as a bigger goal. They haven't sent anything up. Right. It's a pure scientific mission. Mm-hmm. There's always something for a profit, which which is fine. I'm not anti-capitalist by right. any means, mm-hmm. um, but it has a role to play along with government. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was just happy to see just the other day the um, Trump administration was trying to say, well, if the NASA's big rocket, the Space Launch System, mm-hmm. Saturn V class thing, is not going to do it. 
as quick as as we would like it. Let's go to the moon on commercial rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. It's just going to be unwieldy, and it's going to be a one-off kind of shot. Right. If and, and just the other day, the administrator of NASA stood up and said, uh, "Well, we've looked at it, and no, we're not going to do mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah, I, we're going to stay with the big rocket." I would like for you to correct me on this, but this is what I see happening, right? Uh, We'll talk about this in a minute, but there's a reason that the U.S. We have not launched rockets from the U.S. in many, many, many years. There's a reason we paid Russia a lot of money every time mm-hmm. we wanted to send something to space. And if we, if we only um, rely on commercial on on companies like SpaceX or Blue Origin to launch our astronauts, I can only foresee that same thing happening here, where then SpaceX is saying, "Okay, we want sixty million dollars a seat." Mm-hmm. We want Blue Origin saying we want seventy million dollars a seat, and you ha- you haven't actually eliminated the problem, right. right? Because in essence, they're still not American spaceflight. Right. You, but that's why you need NASA to actually continue building mm-hmm. the and infrastructure. Government is by no means is great uh, the greatest uh, way of do- doing these things, but government with commercial is the future. There's no two ways about that. Mm-hmm. To answer your question about you know why haven't we been doing this from American soil for so long? You can blame both administrations under the uh, second Bush and the Obama uh, administration. They, they both mm-hmm. are at fault for it taking so long um, because so much time was wasted in trying to get NASA redirected back toward what it was doing. Right. And, okay, one had this idea. It was a great idea, just didn't fund it. And the other one came along and said, oh, I don't like that idea. I'm going to cancel it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, there's a lot of money that was spent, wasted, time wasted. Uh, and... Okay, Trump comes along and said, no, we're not doing what Obama wanted, right. which is a good thing because it was a dumb idea. It had nothing to do with the man. It's just his idea was going to bring an asteroid yeah. back and then look at it. Mm-hmm. That would be a one-off and, and, shot. And, and, nothing not to a do with, and nothing to do with the political thing either, right? right? It's, it's just literally the idea is just not a good— Well, he had the idea, we've been to the moon, why, why go back? We've been there six times. Okay, mm-hmm. how, many, how, how many times do you have to go to New York City— to really, and that's just a much smaller thing, to really understand what that city is all about. Zero. It sucks. Yeah. There. Well, it's not <laughs> one of my no. favorite places. Nah, I'm but kidding. I, I, get, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... Hundreds, thousands, hundreds. right? I go out west. Uh, how many times do I have, have I had to go out to Wyoming to cover the state or Utah? Uh, a lot. Yeah. And I still haven't gotten everything. Right. I've almost been on every road in those two states, but not yet. <laughs> uh, anyhow, yeah, so just having six visits to the moon is... Well, six visits to Williamsport doesn't even cover it. Right. Uh, and there's not an awful lot here. But, oh, yeah. um, there's enough, but mm-hmm. I mean, six visits is, is not enough to see what, what the whole place is about. So he's like, well, we, we've been there, done that. Let's go on into this asteroid idea. But it was not a program. It was just spent a lot of money to do something once and mm-hmm. then it would have died. And what right. are we going to do next? Well, okay. So now we have a, a better idea, but probably not for the greatest of reasons. I'll, I'll grant you that. It's just, okay, this president said one thing, the next one cancels it. This president says one thing, the next president cancels it. But it looks like at least there's something more going on here with this Mm -hmm. get there by 2024 kind of thing. Yes. uh, That we have a shot at it, but it's going to take more of a push than just a little bit of extra money and a lot of speeches. Mm -hmm. But it's it's more... um, It it seems like there is more there than the last two presidents. Right. It has a name, right? It's yeah, got yeah pro- finally it has a name. Project Artemis, I, yeah. th- I think they, they give it the name. Uh, Blue Origin came out and, and showed their new lander, yeah. which, um, although it hasn't been officially announced that that'll be the lander they use in 2024, I, there's a slip-up on their website. I don't oh, know yeah. if you saw this. 
on Blue Origin's website, they seem to indicate that, that one of the quotes, I don't have it written down in front of me, it's written down somewhere, um, is that that this lander will aid the Americans to, in getting back to the moon in 2024. Something like that. Some, it's some, just the some, landing some, stage. Yeah. That's not reusable. Mm-hmm. That's a one-shot thing. Uh, NASA's still got to come up with the ascent stage, which is what the astronauts go down inside right. of and mm-hmm. then return back to the gateway. And that's reusable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you launch a new lander stage, put it together at the gateway, which is something we'll have to learn how to do and yeah. refuel that yeah, yeah, yeah. and then land on down. And so you'll still be leaving mm-hmm. behind all these little lander yeah. stages. And the lander stage also can carry just uh, directly cargo. So mm-hmm. you take four rovers <laughs> at one time or you take a big pile of stuff to make a little bit of a landing site uh, base mm-hmm. uh, to uh, live in from time to time if you keep going back to the same area. Yeah. I'd like to see more everywhere on the mm-hmm. moon kind of thing. Can, but can, can that's, you sp- that's a scientist to me. Right. Geologic I agree stories. with you, yeah. Can you speak to the Lunar Gateway? What do you think about the idea? I, there's a ton of criticism about it. It's already been cut back. I mean, it had a great grand idea um, in that it would have a whole pile of modular things, mm-hmm. including a real uh, habitat, mm-hmm. not just living in a tiny tin can. Um, now they're going to be just living in a tiny tin can again. Um, there'll be a power module. Um, there'll be the refueling aspect of it. And let's see, what else did they get rid of? Oh, a, a little bit of a laboratory module and uh, a connecting node to make it bigger necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to get us to 2024, they couldn't possibly do all of that. Right. So they're going yes. with the smaller one first mm-hmm. and hopefully and, and, it gets expanded. And I've heard it said that, that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's out, it's in the open that they're going to get to the moon regardless yeah. of if the lunar gateway is, is, well, yeah, the, you can go directly there, but it, if you're going to do this reusability aspect mm-hmm. of, um, the ascent stage, yeah. uh, which is the one thing that's just totally missing. There's nothing on that yet. Yeah. But contracts will come out soon. Um, and how they're going to build that so fast, I don't know, but, um, that's the one thing that's missing. But if you're going to do it that way, you've got to have a depot where you can assemble the lander mm-hmm. and refuel and go down. Um, so the original intent with, um, which now, which is called Artemis was the Orion spacecraft, like Apollo goes into orbit, mm-hmm. uh, carrying with it a lander vehicle. But back in those days, there was no lander. Right. I mean, we kept talking about going back to the moon, but okay, circling it. There's no point to send people just to circle the moon. Right. You can do that with robotic spacecraft. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to go down and do surface exploration of meaningful value, people. Right. Never send a robot to do a person's job. Never send a person to do a robot's job. Mm-hmm. Robots and people have their own jobs and they can work together. But if you're going to go to the surface, you need people. Right. So if that's the case, all right, you need a lander. That was missing before. Mm-hmm. Well, now we have the idea of landing, setting up a base, uh, and you need a way of putting the lander together. That's the gateway. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. needs there. It would be nice, and that was the original intent of the uh, gateway, was we could possibly keep people there for like six months at a time doing studies from orbit, right? controlling without any delay time rovers that we could send to the surface, mm-hmm. which, by the way, these commercial things can put those down. Right. There, there's commercial landers designs uh, that go from you know about that high mm-hmm. to the big thing that could take the human people down yeah. or the four rovers. You can put scientific instruments and mini rovers and anywhere. You can control them from the gateway. 
So the, the gateway with people now is a purpose mm-hmm. other than just having people live that far away from home. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's got lots of possibilities. I just don't want to see it turn into, okay, get there by 2024. We've done that. All right. Now what next? Mm-hmm. Because that's what happened with Apollo. I mean, they just killed it right. just when we knew what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most exciting stuff was yet to come. And then they pull out the, the plug and say, well, we're going to come back to the Earth's orbit. And then we're going to where we've been stuck now for almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. The last uh, time we left the Earth's orbit with people was 1972. Uh, so that's 47 years ago. It's the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing. Uh, last year, they made a big deal, uh, and rightly so, about going to the moon with Apollo 8, just circling around at Christmas time. It was the 50th anniversary in 2018. Uh, but the Apollo program came to an end, mm-hmm. and we ended up being space station this, space station that ever since. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, until more recently, was always looking down at the Earth. Now, I have no problem with getting that focus. But it's the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. There's nothing about Earth in there. Right. There are other agencies that can look at climate issues. Mm-hmm. There are other agencies that can look at agricultural stuff. NASA is about looking out. Right. Uh, and so our focus has been wrong. Uh, dealing with making space work for the Earth. Utilization. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong. That data has to be collected, but it shouldn't be NASA's job. It should be, NASA should launch stuff for it or commercial now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we should be going the outer solar system. We should be going back to the moon, eventually onto Mars. Right. We should be spreading the human species throughout the solar system because as astronaut John Young and many others who are scientists have been saying for quite some time, the lesson of biology is extinction. Mm-hmm. The lesson of astrophysics in the solar system is we're in a shooting gallery. Right. Every species that has remained on Earth, and that's every one of them, either has gone extinct or will go extinct. Mm-hmm. We could be hit by something we don't know is coming tomorrow. Not likely, but uh, they just reported the other day that uh, we, we missed some sort of an interstellar rock mm-hmm. uh, in 2014 by you know just a tiny amount. Uh, if we have a major hit on the earth, eh, you don't have to worry about climate change. Right. The, the biggest problem mm-hmm. we worry about, should be worrying about, is if we're hit by an asteroid or comet that we yeah. don't know is coming mm-hmm. in time to do something about. And it doesn't matter what the environmental situation is on the earth at that point. We're dead. Yes. The dinosaurs Precisely. died mm-hmm. because they didn't have a space program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we have humans in uh, space on the moon, on Mars, it doesn't bode well for the uh, human species, but we have a chance to continue. Right. Uh, other than that, we're done for. Mm-hmm. So I, I recently had um, yeah, you know that the the 50th anniversary is coming up, and uh, along with that comes hundreds of books. Yeah. Right. I absolutely hordes of them. Okay. Yeah. No. And I had a, a an author, Doctor David Warmflash, probably the coolest name in this field. Warmflash. Uh, Warmflash, last name. Um, cool. And uh, he wrote a book. He wrote. Uh, it's called Moon and Illustrated History. Okay. And, and it's it's a it's a good book. It's a good mm-hmm. book. I recommend it. But he, one of the things I got from reading his book is, is I, I learned something that I had never heard of before, and I wanted to run it by you. Right. And 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 so because I'm sure you have a wealth of information about it. The, it was that NASA was so eager, the United States rather, was so eager to get to the moon 
that they had actually seriously floated the idea of sending a person or people to the moon without the infrastructure to get them back <laughs> um it, yeah. we, under the under the assumption that we would develop the infrastructure we would send them with resources mm-hmm. and they could you know live there and then we would eventually go and get mm-hmm. them yeah that was called pilgrim <laughs> um and the funny thing is there's a movie out uh called countdown uh that uh, picks up on this and they actually followed the idea uh the concern was that the Apollo program wasn't uh, on track to make the end of the uh, 60s mm-hmm. for its landing. And so what they were going to do is essentially take the base of the lunar module and put on top of it a Gemini spacecraft, mm-hmm. two people, and then that would land on the moon. It had absolutely no way of coming back. Yeah. Uh, but the idea was to land a uh, shelter mm-hmm. <laughs> somewhere nearby. And so the astronauts would leave the Gemini spacecraft. I don't know how, because if you know what a Gemini spacecraft looks like, um, the hatch opens up, and if you try to get out of it, just fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if it was on vertically on top of the lunar module yeah. uh, base. <laughs> but And there's no way of watching where you're going uh, to try to land it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how they would have done it. But anyhow, they uh, the idea was put that thing on the moon just to get there. Mm-hmm. And then the astronauts would leave that, and walk and set themselves up once they got to the shelter and then wait for Apollo to come and get them. And it was a serious, serious consideration. I don't know that it was a serious, serious uh, consideration, but it was a serious consideration. I see. It, or, or it was considered seriously. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was uh, seriously said, no, we're not going to try that. Um, chances are that would not have worked. But nevertheless, there was that big push. We have got to get a human being onto the moon before the Russians do. Mm-hmm. Heaven help us if we don't. Um, you know, that was the driving goal, whether it made sense in a historical sense in the overall picture of humankind. I don't know. Uh, that's far too close to the event for anybody. I don't care who they are, uh, to say, I can definitively tell you where this goes into the entirety of humans, uh, existence. No, no, no. You got, you got to look at it from a further historical perspective because, as you noted, the books are out there like crazy. Mm-hmm. Most of them are worthless. Uh, I have to read the one you just uh, recommended, mm-hmm. but I've looked at so many of them. Uh, I haven't ordered many of them because I've looked at what they said. And there's so many things that are in the descriptions of the book that are just wrong. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new. Right. Uh, it's the older texts are still the best ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and, and it, it, let's be honest, it's, it's a cash grab, yeah. right? I mean, a lot, a lot of these of are cash grabs. Yeah, books. yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, it, the same thing is with me. Uh, we were talking last night, Nate Stewart, uh, and who's been on your show quite often mm-hmm. now. Uh, He's also a former student of mine. Uh, he's saying, you got to watch this film. And he said, I've been buying some of the films and I've just kept them off to the side because mm-hmm. I've tended to see disappointment in these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wait until we pass the uh, 50th anniversary and then I'm going to sit and, w- and watch them because mm-hmm. I don't want to be excited for the 50th where I'm going to relive it in my mind mm-hmm. or since I have the video, relive the original stuff yeah. um, by playing that. Uh, I, I don't want to be disappointed in seeing these things be portrayed wrong because I've seen things on television mm-hmm. wrong, say wrong, um, the basic assumption or premise wrong. Um, I, I, I don't want that ruined. So I'm, I haven't watched them. I bought them. Mm-hmm. 
piling up the DVD stack, and yeah. someday I'll watch them. How sad is it for you to see the fact that we haven't been back to the moon? Oh, it's bugged the hell so out of me because uh, now some people might think, what's wrong with you when I say this? I had the best 16th birthday present I could ever have wanted because Apollo 15 landed in my favorite spot on the moon of the Apollo era. And uh, they was just in advance of my birthday, and they were walking and driving the rover mm-hmm. on my 16th birthday, right near Hadley Rill in the Apennine Front. I think that was the best landing site of all of them. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. The pictures were beautiful. Uh, they could have been better if the sun angle had been a little bit better. Things got a little washed out because of the angle of the sun relative to the horizon. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it was fantastic. <clears throat> use the phrase the astronauts always use it's fantastic mm-hmm. um but i've been wanting to go back and and continue to do the geology of the moon i'm because of that era a moon guy mm-hmm. younger students we want to go off to mars apollo was my grandfather stuff kind of dates me even though i've never had any uh children <laughs> but uh, but i'm not as interested in mars because mars is too damn earth-like mm-hmm. The moon is beautiful because it has nothing in common with the Earth, except perhaps an origin uh, mm-hmm. with the um, a collision of the Earth, you know, and we still don't know for sure that's the case. Right. We are looking again. We had the foresight to save a lot of the samples. In fact, the majority of the samples have never been looked at mm-hmm. from the Apollo era, and we're looking at them with today's technology, and we're still learning stuff about the original Apollo return samples, uh, lunar return samples, and finding out a lot of things we thought were about the moon were wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot of things we expected we would find later were off base. This business about water on the moon, 50 years ago, you would have been laughed at if somebody mm-hmm. would have said, you know, I think there's a lot of water on the moon. Yeah, right. It would have been the attitude. And if there's any water on the rocks, it was contamination. Uh, no, it's not contamination. They are finding that you could extract water from certain types of uh, rocks uh, that you bring back from the moon. And then in permanently shadowed craters, that's one of the interest in going to the South Pole and setting mm-hmm. up a base there, there's a lot of water there. Uh, there's no disputing that. Now, how you actually extract it, they're going to have to work on that technology. That's innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you've got water, you can set up life uh, on the moon. It's, mm-hmm. um, it, it's going to be a difficult existence, but damn it, going to Antarctica is not a... a a cruise ship uh, mm-hmm. experience either. Uh, yeah, it's going to be harder than Antarctica. And temperatures are cold, but also temperatures are extraordinarily hot, space radiations, blah, blah, blah. But nevertheless, it's easily doable if you have the commitment and you spend the funds. Um, Mars is just too far away. Here's my thing. Okay. You want to get kids interested in going to space? Don't try pointing out in the sky where Mars is or showing them in a telescope what Mars is. Mm-hmm. Back in 1988, I taught down the road here at Bucknell, an astronomy uh, class in the evening. And from time to time, I would go up and show them that your Mars was at one of its closest oppositions. Mm-hmm. And these people were looking in there. They, they knew about that, and so they were excited. And then we looked at this. It was, a, I think, a 24-inch telescope mm-hmm. made out of brass, antique, beautiful thing. Um, and unlike us, they have a telescope in their dome. Uh, moving right <laughs> along. Uh, but um, I would show them this, and they'd be very disappointed. That's it? Mm-hmm. But you go outside with your naked eye, and you look. There's the moon. You can see it. Yeah. 
is three days away. Mm-hmm. And you can say, hey, maybe there's 25 people up there on the moon. You look at Mars and it's a little red dot. Right. At best, mm-hmm. to the naked eye. Right. And many times you can't even find it <laughs> mm-hmm. unless you know where it is. So you're not going to get kids excited. Yes. From that. But you can get them excited maybe about going further and further away, including Mars. Mm-hmm. If they first start out by saying, my dad's up there on the moon or my mom is an engineer working at the South Pole of the moon. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of we've been there, done that. No, we haven't been there and done that. We've been there a couple of times, but we have not done that. Now let's mm-hmm. go do it. And I want it started before I drop dead and turn into uh, the next generation of soil somewhere or, <laughs> or um, food for worms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you say that a lot. You say that, that, that comment a lot. You say, I want to see it done before I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And you say it with a passion that, you know, it might sound like a joke, but there, I have never met anyone in this field who's more passionate about one thing than you are about the return well, of the moon. I'm t- in a way, I'm tired of being a spaceflight historian. Right. Now that, I'm a contemporary historian, which is kind of weird. I'm a historian of spaceflight Op- engineering operations. Mm-hmm. I write a lot. Uh, you want to find out what happened on any individual space shuttle mission on the other side of that wall. I have 42 three-inch binders of my text I've written. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, well, three of them are down in my office. I'm on issue 45. Uh, and I've written before that of Gemini is really my mm-hmm. uh, area of expertise, most expertise. But I've also done Apollo, Mercury, and all the Russian stuff. And it's Chinese. Uh, but I, I write about things as it's happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a historian of looking back at the stuff that has happened, keeping video, documentation, etc. And in that regard, I'm tired of being a space historian. Mm-hmm. I'm giving out collections of what I've got to various interested in, uh, organizations like Air Force uh, Museum in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I gave my early stuff uh, to them. And um, I'm doing it for other um, things as well. In, in people as well and institutions because I want that stuff preserved. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drop dead and then have people who are dealing with my things just throw it in the, in the trash. Right. As long as it's out there somewhere else, that's fine. And interestingly enough, a lot of the stuff that I did in connection with many other people like me is mm-hmm. now on the web right. by others who had the computer skills to do even more with it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, I go onto a website and say, hey, that's what I have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it from either me or one of my friends. Yeah. Um, I'm not looking for credit because they took it further and they ended mm-hmm. up adding things uh, with computer technology beyond just the video. That's great. Uh, but I want to see us continue something. And I was left with my passion for seeing lunar exploration hanging. Mm-hmm. Gene Cernan, when he came back from 19, in 1972 from the last Apollo mission, said, well, we won't be back to the moon for maybe 10 years or more. He was sick of being called the last man to walk on the moon. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be referred to as the last Apollo astronaut to go on the moon. And he wanted to see before he died some young kid, boy, girl, become when they grew up the one who took that last person on the moon away from him, that, mm-hmm. that label, because they're now on there. And unfortunately, he died before um, we're going to be landing back on the moon, assuming mm-hmm. we do follow through uh, with this 2024 thing. It's a shame that the Apollo astronauts will probably die before 
Well, I mean, we only have four people left that landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they started going in the last couple of years pretty quick. I've met seven of the 12, uh, had dinner with a couple of them. And like many people, I've been with uh, Buzz Aldrin, not that he would remember me, on a number of occasions because mm-hmm. Buzz is the most accessible of all of them. Yeah. Uh, I never seem to have found um, Neil Armstrong at the right time, although I sure tried. Mm-hmm. He was a very private person. He never necessarily let NASA even know when he was going to show up to events where he was supposedly coming. Mm-hmm. And every time I went to something where he might have been, he didn't show up. <laughs> but anyhow, I was hoping to get to see Alan Bean, uh, uh, but he died last year. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm stuck with, I've met seven mm-hmm. and four are alive. And I've met all four of those, so I'm not going to meet any more. And I really hope that at least one is still alive uh, when we return to the moon because those people put their lives on the line. They always felt, here's an odd one. It's a really side uh, comment, but they always felt a little bit embarrassed that they got so much attention in that time period. Mm-hmm. And they were talked about as being so brave. And they were. I mean, think about it. Going to the moon with that kind of technology, the risk involved mm-hmm. in those days, not that it ever will be risk-free, but that was the era of Vietnam. And a lot of their uh, fellows from their training, mm-hmm. uh, from their military service before they became astronauts, were fighting and dying mm-hmm. in that war. And they said, those are the guys who are the real heroes. And they felt like, why aren't they getting the um, adulation mm-hmm. that we are and all we're doing is going into space. Right. Um, in fact, some of them thought about, you know, maybe I should quit being an astronaut and I should go and volunteer to join my compatriots because they just felt odd about that. They were mm-hmm. passionate about doing what they did. Yeah. But they felt a little guilty that they were in perhaps better safety actually than many who were fighting and dying mm-hmm. in Vietnam. So it's a matter of perspective kind of thing. But, yeah, I want to see that all happen before I die. Yeah. So last night, actually, at the bar. I was at the bar last night, and I heard this question asked. And I was like, okay, sure. That's the – that's this This question is the – this scenario is the universe giving me a question to ask you. Okay. I heard a question off to the side. Yeah. We got to the moon 50 years ago. Why haven't we been back since? Can you go through the 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 – process the political process that caused us to stop going to the moon what why was it 1972 the last time oh boy is that a complicated question um it's a complicated question actually can give uh can be given a simplistic answer Mm -hmm. but the simplistic answer is not the total picture uh well i guess that's the definition of simplistic (laughs) but the thing is one we would never have gone to the moon if it weren't for the time frame of the uh, 60s. It was just the proper geopolitical situation. Yeah, it started with Sputnik, but it may not have gone the direction of getting to the moon from Sputnik. It could have gone in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was, uh, by and large, some things that happened particularly early in the Kennedy administration. And to restore American prestige, American technology... And to compete in a nonviolent way with the Soviet Union that got us propelled in the direction of going to the moon mm-hmm. by the end of the decade. Because a person could legitimately ask, 
what was the big deal about being uh, having to get to the end of the decade? Well, having to get to the moon by the end of the decade. Mm -hmm. and that would have been, you know, the end of 1969. And nobody could say that it had to be done then. It really didn't. Apart from the geopolitical uh, thing that said it. it wasn't science that, driven, uh, that drove us to the moon. Science got added on top of it. The scientific community in the early days was not for this. Uh, but boy, they sure jumped on the bandwagon when all of a sudden they realized that they could become part of this. Mm -hmm. Um and some of them realized that, well, with this became more funds for other types of research. Why did we stop in 72? Well, there's a whole bunch of things. Uh, there was the uh, anti-war movement. There was the war itself, social programs, uh, budgetary constraints, um, no longer the political urgency because the Russians didn't continue along their pathway. Mm -hmm. They tried to launch a Saturn V equivalent rocket four times. It blew up every time. Mm -hmm. And then they said, <laughs> we're just looking stupid. Uh, let's build something else. And they went the direction of space stations. And so then we followed them in that direction. Mm -hmm. So couldn't do space stations and we couldn't do uh, go continuing to go to the moon. There were original plans for post-Apollo. It had no special name. They just called it the post-Apollo program. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he, it's Government, <laughs> look how long it took to get Artemis. I mean, right. it, it, 10 years, they called it Space Launch System Rocket, mm -hmm. SLS. Boring name. Uh, and no program other than the Orion spacecraft. At least now it's called Artemis, all right? And for those who don't know, Artemis and Apollo, they're, I think, brother and sister or cousins or something like that. So uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> the follow-on to Apollo it makes sense to call it Artemis. There's right. some logic there. Uh, but in 72, there was no compelling reason to keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we're going to do anything, it seemed that the best thing that we could get through the political system was space stations, space shuttle. And mm -hmm. we didn't even get the entirety of that. We just got the space shuttle and Skylab. And Skylab first and then the, uh, uh, the space shuttle. And the space shuttle then had nowhere to go mm -hmm. until eventually we did get the International Space Station. There's a long story that gets us between the post-Apollo era and the actual International Space Station. Well, why haven't we gone back? Because, well, there were those who said we've already done that. But imagine if the early explorers that started uh, looking for the routes to the um, Far East and Near East um, uh, and uh, circumnavigating the globe, if they went once and never went back. Um, that argument is maybe a little bit specious, but nevertheless, if you are interested in human exploration, that's what you say. You know, mm -hmm. All right. Uh, why would you just go once and then not keep going? That makes the fact that you went once less uh, valuable, mm -hmm. less historic, um, more of a stunt. Mm -hmm. And this was never just a stunt, thank goodness. But there was no urgency to go back. And so, well, we'll do it later. Look at the budget. Do we have room for that? No. Okay, we'll do it later. And whereas in the 60s, we had the ability to go from Kennedy to Johnson to Nixon, well, it was Nixon who killed it in the end, but Nixon's name is on the moon. Kennedy's is not. Mm -hmm. uh, those three administrations kept the same program going. And actually, Apollo ended in Ford uh, with the Apollo-Soyuz mission in 1975. That was the last flight of an Apollo spacecraft. Russians and Americans mm -hmm. uh, joined together uh, to demonstrate a rescue process. 
Rescue from what? This is the last Apollo. There's not going to be anything to rescue uh, on the American side using the, the Soyuz in that uh, configuration. So without the ability to continue a program through a Democratic, a Republican, mm -hmm. changing administration, there's no way of doing because this is not something you can do quick right. in one uh, administration. How do you think that problem is resolved? How do you commercial, think... Commercial. Getting commercial on board and international cooperation. That's the only reason we still have the International Space Station. The International Space Station survived by, at one point, it won, uh, the program won authorization by one vote. Hmm. Uh, if uh, it hadn't been for that one vote, uh, it could have never happened. And part of the reason the um, um, Clinton administration got it through was they were pushing international cooperation with the Russians. Hmm. Uh, they weren't looking at it from a standpoint of science. They're just looking at it from a standpoint of engaging the Russians in something um, that would make um, the United States look good as well as, um, you know, bring the Russians along in a peaceful way. Mm -hmm. And uh, despite the fact that Clinton often said that he was a big fan, especially Hillary said she wanted to be an astronaut. There's no evidence of that. Uh, but it was a nice thing to say mm -hmm. at, at certain uh, venues. And uh, they, they did at least get it through that mm -hmm. one key vote. And since then, it's had more um, bipartisan support. But it could never have happened had it not survived that one vote. Um, and the only reason it did was because of the international implications. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you think commercial space flight can be the thing that, that can handle this constant flip-flopping between administrations and the way that they handle NASA? Maybe. What, do you, what, what could be a possible alternative to, to every new new president deciding that they have a different idea for NASA. Do you think long-term plans would be better? And Long-term plans would be better, but unfortunately you have to go through an annual budget yeah. process. Would, would it, do you think it would be beneficial to have like a, an, a essentially like a, a, I don't want to say a Congress because I, I hate that idea, but, but like a, essentially a, a group of people that actually oversees NASA and, there used and to be. you can vote on, on... There used to be, and to a certain extent there is again. Um, NASA used to be almost like a cabinet level mm -hmm. thing because of the urgency of um, getting to the moon by the end of the decade in the 60s. And then uh, Nixon killed that. Mm -hmm. And NASA has just been a government agency ever since until the uh, Bush administ uh, uh, the Trump administration... Uh, did reinstate the National Space Council, mm -hmm. which is kind of close to a um, uh, cabinet-level thing, right. with the vice president as the head overseer of the National Space Council. And they meet regularly. Mm -hmm. That, if it can continue from one administration to another, regardless of political affiliation, that can help keep things going, mm -hmm. tying in national interests with cooperation with other countries and commercial. Mm -hmm. So there's the geopolitical aspect and there's also the uh, commercial aspect. Mm -hmm. That Those two things can be the glue that can keep things going. It'll still have its ups and downs. Yeah. You may very well have a president sometime who's very anti-space, mm -hmm. um, but they might recognize, he or she, that you know th there's a lot of things of interest to the United States through the geopolitical aspect of cooperation mm -hmm. or a lot of companies that are making capital out of commercial, right. I can't kill it. Mm -hmm. There's never been anybody who's come along and said, I really want to just kill NASA, be done with it. Mm -hmm. um, they've recognized it has its values. 
whether they are interested in it or not. And I really can't think of any that was very anti-NASA uh, along the way, with the possible exception of uh, Jimmy Carter. Um, he was not a particularly... Um, well, there was a lot of wrong with Jimmy Carter as a president. Let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> probably the worst president I lived through. Um, but uh, as a human being, great man. Um, as a humanitarian, great man. Is it a great example of somebody who, even at his age and with his pancreatic cancer, is doing what he's doing? Wow. President, mm -hmm. he, he, he stank. Uh, thank God it was only four years. Uh, anyway... <laughs> He almost killed the space shuttle, uh -huh. but nevertheless, um, there has been nobody who had as a big agenda and mm -hmm. space. Um, so it's kind of hard to kill it. Yeah. Once you've got something started in the government, it's kind of hard to totally kill it, mm -hmm. but you can cut its funding right. significantly. Tie us to other nations, and you can't do that as easily. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the future is not going to be national space. Right. It's going to be international space. Mm -hmm. I get a little envious when I listen to you talk about your experience as a kid watching this program. Yeah. Because I never had that. I'll have to give you some DVDs I, of the I, uh, original video. I never had in my lifetime a scientific achievement or a scientific advancement that really like inspired me and yeah. all the people around me. I, that never happened. Yeah. I got a little bit of that. With well, nothing's this, covered that way journalistically right, anymore. Exactly. I got a little bit of that with this most recent M87 black hole image. Yeah. I got a little bit. Like I felt a little bit as I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for them and the, I'm watching the press conference live and I'm just waiting for them to, to show the right. image. I, I feel like I felt a little bit of that. But, but when you listen to the journalists afterward trying to explain it, mm, wasn't it silly? Did you listen to the questions being asked? Uh, by the by, the journalists who had clearly not done their homework. Oh yeah, well, it's I, it's just like it's I don't know. I feel like it's simple, right? You got to yeah. just do your homework. And know they did it, in those days. Yes, know it at least to like a, a sixth grade level, or just yeah. know just know it. Qua even qualitatively is mm -hmm. fine. Just know it. Know what you're looking at qualitatively. Yeah. You don't have to know. You don't have to do the math. You don't do the right. physics. You don't do any of that shit. Well, will you? Will this be able to see if I go to the blackboard? Probably not. Probably no. not. Okay, so I'll just sort of draw in, in uh, uh -huh. the air here. What I was talking about with the Frank uh, McGee explaining the orbital rendezvous, Gemini 6 and 7, yeah. he went to a blackboard, got out a piece of chalk, and he drew a hell of a lot better circle than I can draw. You remember uh -huh. that was yeah. from class. But he drew a circular orbit where uh, Gemini 7 was, mm -hmm. and then he inserted Gemini 6 into its initial orbit, and then at one point he marks an X and says, we're going to fire the engines to provide this much change in velocity, mm -hmm. which will raise the orbit up to this altitude, and uh, then they'll go around and fire again to go up to the next orbital altitude in four mm -hmm. orbital adjustments. He had all the numbers, and he had the places on the orbits where it would take place. And at the very end, he had them come together six mm -hmm. uh, uh, 120 feet apart to begin with. And then it was a matter of being a pilot yeah. and using the hand uh, controller uh -huh. to fire the thrusters to come in. And they were this close, nose to nose. Mm -hmm. we, um, we both agree that largely the the journalistic integrity of most people in this country is at an all time low. Yeah, journalism is is, is dead. terrible. Why? What happened that w that went from your day when when you could have someone explaining science that way to now like the the only thing you'll see on CNN is is them quoting a congresswoman that says that the Earth is going to be dead in twelve years if we don't you know <laughs> stop emitting stuff which is just yeah. complete bullshit right it's that's all it is it's 
that's not to say that there's not steps we should there's take. There's serious concerns, but there's... The, We're the not dying in 12 years. Yes. So what, what, what happened? Uh, it goes back to what we started talking with for the first 20 minutes. Uh, there are those things that are legitimate to talk about and those things that are not, and it's all driven by one's politics. If you go back to those uh, journalists that I revere for their coverage of spaceflight, mm-hmm. Chet Huntley, David Brinkley, uh, Frank McGee, Walter Cronkite, although he got a lot of stuff wrong. Although Walter Cronkite is supposedly the space guru from you know, the uh, mm-hmm. early days of TV. And he got a lot of things wrong, which Wally Shiraz, an astronaut doing color commentary, had to correct him. But nevertheless, he, 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 was, he, was, he was good. And uh, uh, Jules Bergman on ABC and uh, Frank, uh, Frank Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Later, Tom Brokaw in mm-hmm. the special era. Uh, John Chancellor uh, on NBC. All those guys were almost to a person liberal mm-hmm. to one degree or another in their policies, their per- personal political uh, beliefs. But they kept that behind them. They reported the news. Mm-hmm. From time to time, they would project their own opinions. But when they did, you knew that's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did not preach politics. They covered politics. And they were fair uh, about it. And they didn't let their politics intrude on other things. Mm-hmm. So we've lost that. There's no such thing as a uh, fair uh, journalist, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Anyone who is, is going to be either delegated to a time slot when nobody watches them, mm-hmm. or is going to be let go from their network. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're not getting too far into this. Uh, what was her name? Cheryl Atkinson or something like that uh, from CBS. She was uh, let go because she w- stood up against policy in the newsroom that was very biased. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forget what's happened to her. But I think she's now on Fox. Um, don't quote me. Or, or PBS. Uh, but she's somewhere. She's still out there. Mm-hmm. And she's one of those who's talking in the wilderness about the fact that uh, journalism that's fair and accurate is uh, is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, I really did look upon those people back then as sources that I could trust. Mm-hmm. Because I knew what they were explaining in terms of the science eventually was right. Mm-hmm. That they had done their homework and they were educating the public not indoctrinating the public. There was, for example, that one place where Walter Cronkite showed his political leanings. He went to Vietnam as an observer. Mm-hmm. And he came back and he had a program that was very much against the policies of uh, Lyndon Johnson mm-hmm. in the war. And he came to the conclusion, we cannot win this thing. And you'd never seen him say anything even remotely like that during his news broadcasts. The president himself, if you look at uh, some of his, um, uh, uh, let's see, what is it, the, the archives that are at his presidential library, mm-hmm. there's one point where Johnson says, I have lost the American public because I've lost Walter Cronkite. Uh, when he recognized that Cronkite said, this can't be won, mm-hmm. and we should find our way out of this uh, morass uh, that is the Vietnam War, and he just realized he, he can't win it. 
Yeah. And that, I think that was part of the, his reasoning for deciding he wasn't going to run in 1968 for a, a second term. He, um, he realized that um, no matter what I've tried, I'm not going to, what I will try or have tried to do, I can't win. Hmm. That was an interesting three president uh, term. And I was quite young, but Kennedy, and I saw the assassination. His brother later, I was even more interested in Bobby Kennedy than I was in uh, um, his, his brother who was president. Uh, Johnson, Nixon. I was very much a fan of all three, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact they were very different. And everybody now remembers Nixon as, you know, well, the impeachment uh, and uh, left office in, in shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were an awful lot of good things about Nixon. Nixon was very different from Johnson. Mm-hmm. Johnson was more similar to Kennedy, despite the fact that uh, the two of them couldn't stand each other, by and large. Uh, Two Democrats, one Republican. It was an era, a stretch of three really great presidents. Mm-hmm. One flawed guy. I mean, the, if Nixon had done the right thing and said, hey, these guys broke in, we're going to prosecute them to mm-hmm. the extent of the law. I had nothing to do with it. If he did have nothing to do with it at that stage, not going to try to cover it up, which is where he went wrong. Mm-hmm. He would still be remembered in some ways as a great president. Mm-hmm. He's the last president. People are going to disagree with me out there in your viewership, but I'm going to say this because I mean it. Uh, uh, the last president that the world looked upon as a expert in foreign policy and respected, Richard Nixon. There's a reason why in Star Trek VI, to be a little bit on the silly side, Spock says only Nixon could go to China. <laughs> he was a staunch anti-communist. Mm-hmm. They knew what they were getting, and only Nixon could go and talk to Mao. Well, it would have been phony mm-hmm. if it had been Jimmy Carter, right? Because Carter would have tried to do let's all get along stuff. Nixon stood up, stood his ground. Mao stood up, stood his ground. But they found what they could get along with. Mm-hmm. That was the first openings to China, but only Nixon could have done that. We've had poor excuses for statesmen in the presidency on either side of the political aisle ever since. Well, with that, there's time to change, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, there's time to change. So yeah. with that being said, I would love to see, we talk about all these books coming out. Yeah. I would love to see a book by Dr. David Fisher using all the documents behind <laughs> that wall. Because I know uh, you would cover yeah. it honestly. I know you'd cover it seriously. I know you'd cover there's it intelligently. A bunch in the making, but... Uh, events here on campus uh, kind of killed a couple of projects I've been working on for over 20 years, uh, the timeliness of it. I wanted to do a 50th. I wanted to do the ultimate mm-hmm. book on the Gemini program on its 50th anniversary, and that's uh, when the department uh, ran into a situation where we had uh, some major changes uh, thrust upon us that I had to keep the program alive before we rehired, mm-hmm. and then we started this new building process uh, and I couldn't do everything. So hmm. I sacrificed putting that book. It's it still text is there. It's mm-hmm. like on his 27th first edition or first, uh, f- what do we call that? The first draft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have 27 first drafts. So I've, <laughs> I've done it. I wanted to uh, make that second draft. It almost came to be, uh, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, probably just walked off camera. So I, uh, back in 2000, I got a f- uh, message on my door 
Uh, yeah, we barely had email back then, but this is a note tacked on there. Call the Smithsonian. And <laughs> I thought our secretary, our department secretary, was pulling a prank on me, but she wasn't that type. Mm-hmm. And there was a phone number there. And I said, Sharon, are you serious? The Smithsonian wants me to call them? He said, yeah, they, this person was talking to me while you were away last week and said that NASA had suggested they contact you about a book you may be writing on the Gemini program that there was this other person who submitted a, a draft and they didn't like it. And they checked with NASA and they suggested you. And, he, <laughs> and she was wondering, you know, were they somebody pulling her leg? Mm-hmm. So, okay, I called. And yeah, they were actually. There's a, that guy did eventually get his book published elsewhere, but, uh, and yeah, it wasn't the greatest. And I won't mention the name, but anyway, um, the uh, Smithsonian was interested in me giving them a draft. And by the end of the day, I sent in a chapter because it mm-hmm. already existed. And uh, the guy who had, I talked to was very interested. And it was a four-tier process with Smithsonian Institution Press. I got through uh, his um, interest and the next two. Mm-hmm. But when it got to the accountants <laughs> who uh, recognized how much it would cost to put this book together, because mm-hmm. it is big. Yeah. I, I hate these books that just give you the minuscule stuff. Yep. That's why I said I wanted to write the definitive book. Uh-huh. It would have been big. Yeah. It would have been the biggest book the Smithsonian ever uh, published if they had done it. And the accountants went apeshit mm-hmm. and said, we're not going to spend this money to put this uh, out. Yeah. So, okay, it died there. Uh, one day, eventually, I'll put it online mm-hmm. uh, and all my uh, space shuttle stuff for future researchers to pick apart, mm-hmm. build on, whatever. But it's all there, and then they, they can deal with it. So I, At this point in my career, I, I, I don't have any real pressing need to do that. Right now, I'm doing USA in Space with the uh, Gray House Publishing. Mm-hmm. There used to be uh, a project of Salem Press that went under. Fourth edition needs uh, to be done, which is... Uh, 13-year update. A lot's happened mm-hmm. in space in the last 13 years yeah. since uh, edition 3. So that'll be my summer amongst many, 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 many other things. But as far as that book, probably you'll have to just read it online <laughs> someday. Well, I hope to. I hope to. And I think the listeners would be interested in seeing something like that too. So with that being said, I could literally talk to you for 17 hours <laughs> without any problem. I was mentioning yesterday to Nate, who I have on the show all the time, we, we rank you as in the top five humans we know okay in, in the history of this earth okay you you are in the top five humans you, you you if i had a mount rushmore of the people that i that i would would um rank as like the top of the human species i would plop your head right up there boy um, i'm glad i asked yeah. you to write a letter of recommendation for me for my last evaluation <laughs> it's like, yeah, so I, I, I,